It did not look pretty. And although the pain isn't something I can properly describe to you, the shock and the state I was in was more alarming to me than anything else. I screamed out again. And again. And pleaded desperately to those on looking for help. As if hoping one of them could turn back the last five minutes and stop it from ever happening. David and another guy rushed over. The latter seen the full extent of my injury, up close and personal. Then wretched <coughs> and ran off to be sick. David, however, sat with me and tried to reassure me, reminding me that everything was going to be okay and reassuring me at regular intervals that the ambulance and paramedics were on their way. Once I'd gotten over the disbelief and stopped screaming, I just stared at my leg in amazement and all manner of thoughts flashed through my brain. Why had it happened? Was it really as bad as it looked and felt? Would I ever be able to walk again? The reactions of those stood around made me worry more. And soon I became increasingly restless and irritable. David sensed this and quickly found some jackets and covered up my leg. So I would not be able to look at it and told me to rest. I looked at him whilst he rushed around, trying to make me comfortable. And for the first time in five months since I'd known him, I could see he was close to tears. There was no doubt he was genuinely upset, and his face was a mixture of failure and disappointment. He later told me he felt responsible, because he'd been the one who had thrown me the ball and substituted me, which meant I was stood on the sidelines getting cold and not ready to play a game so soon. But I knew I couldn't blame him for that. I'd had a rotten evening, that was for sure. And maybe if he'd not taken me off, things might have been different. But who was ever to really know? The ambulance service turned up quicker than expected and the paramedic confirmed that I had indeed suffered a rather bad dislocated knee but not a break as I'd first suspected. Whilst it was a relief, hearing the news officially was dejecting. I remembered thinking about a friend I knew growing up who'd had a short-lived tennis career because his shoulder constantly dislocated after a bad accident he'd had. That's not to say I had any aspirations of having a football career. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. But I loved running. And if I could expect a dislocation to happen during every bit of physical activity 
well then I was in for a difficult time. Whilst the paramedics decided their next steps and how best to move me, I was given nitrous oxide for pain relief, but also to make me more comfortable. I'd never had nitrous oxide before, and otherwise known as laughing gas, it most certainly did what it said on the tin, because soon I forgot about my leg and this awkward condition and was laughing and cracking jokes with those around me. I even had the nerve to blame David, quite sarcastically, for what had happened, and said that if he'd agreed with the guy who called me a black seaward, he didn't have to show it by trying to injure me too. He saw the funny side to that, as did everyone else around us. And each time I laughed, it would be so hard, I would jolt, causing myself further pain, therefore inhaling more gas. It was a vicious cycle, and it got so repetitive that I had to be told to slow down on my intake. Once the effects had worn off, I lost my jovial nature, and it was then replaced with sentimentality and a sudden need to tell everyone how much I cared about them. Whether I meant anything I said, I can't possibly say. But the dulcet tones of, I think you're a really decent bloke, you know? And, Nah, seriously, just thanks for being there for me. As I wore the face apparatus, were just some of the declarations I can remember. That wasn't half as bad though, as me demanding and ordering David to call Izzy to let her know what happened too. It came as a shock to him because after months of denial I'd finally show my hand. I'd indirectly let my secret feelings for Izzy be known to my boss and it was a bit of a rookie mistake to be honest. It's never a good idea to shit on your own doorstep anyway. And there's nothing worse than your boss privy to such information. Regardless though, he saw that I was serious. And once we'd shared a silent look of acknowledgement, he did exactly as I asked, as if acting out my last dying wish. Hey Izzy, it's David. Yeah, I'm okay. You? Okay, good. Look, sorry to bother you, and don't ask me why, but Liam's asked me to ring you. He's had an accident and dislocated his knee. What? Yeah. Playing football, yeah. Well, yes. Uh-huh. Um, French, eh, I think. Right. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. Right, okay. I'll let him know.
Yeah, okay, will do. See ya. Retrospectively, what I asked David to do was completely unnecessary. And I'm unsure what I planned to achieve in forming Izzy. Because it wasn't as if her and I were an item, or she was my next of kin. I guess I was more concerned with how she would feel knowing I'd been hurt. Because I knew I'd have been devastated or worried had something ever happened to her and I'd not been told. David passed on Izzy's well wishes. And as trivial and insignificant they may have been, it made me smile and feel at ease. There wasn't anything she could do, but knowing she was concerned about me was enough to put my mind to rest and put any anxiety or worries I had aside. I was even more taken aback when David said Izzy had asked where I'd be going and that she'd meet me at the hospital. A part of me wasn't too keen on the girl I liked seeing me in a hospital bed but she wanted to see me and I wanted to see her all the same and I was appreciative of that it gave me incentive something to look forward to and when the paramedics lifted me up onto the stretcher to put me into the ambulance my knee popped back into place I was so excited about Izzy and still lightly high on laughing gas I wasn't even aware it happened even though my leg was how it was supposed to be I was still in no position to walk and I was taken away to hospital for further diagnosis Mark, Stuart and Emma also called prior to my arrival and they too met me at the hospital offer me support and to eventually take me home the docs confirmed again I'd suffered quite a nasty dislocation because all the muscles and ligaments around my left knee were weak it was just an accident waiting to happen they expected me to be off my feet for at least two months with another month of physiotherapy to ensure that my muscles were strengthened and that it would slash could never happen again. Everyone, including Izzy, made a terrible fuss of me whilst I was there and any other time I would have been totally against it but I knew better than to argue. I was given a leg brace that I had to wear for the remainder of my rehabilitation and was told to rest. Emma and Izzy, studying physiotherapy and adult nursing respectively, drew up a rotor between them when everyone would take it in turns to look after me as if I was a complete invalid. And at first my ego wouldn't allow it. But I knew deep down 
I needed all the help I could get. Furthermore, it was touching knowing I was cared for by all of them. And throughout my recovery, I remained humble and compliant. I had never been in a position before where I had to rely on anyone else other than myself or my parents for anything. So having that family and easy at my metaphorical beck and call was hard to accept initially. None of them were obligated to do anything for me or take time out of their busy schedules but they all went over and above and beyond and it's not something I will ever forget. The next three months were tough though and it took some getting used to not being able to move around as freely as I would have liked. Under constant surveillance from Wendy and my friends even if I'd wanted to or been able to sneak out, I would have been stopped or rebuked for doing so. It would have been very stupid also, and reckless to attempt it, but being cooped up in the house was not ideal, and at times I was miserable and very ratty. I obviously had to take time off work too, but after the third week of being stuck at home, I changed my mind and asked David to let me come back in. Even if it meant being sat on a chair at the counter instead of being stood or walking around. And that became pretty much my life and routine from then onwards until I was better and back to full recovery. Once or two months had passed, Emma took charge of my physiotherapy sessions permanently and Izzy continued to provide the company when she could. And I was back to my relatively normal self in no time at all. By the time I turned 21 in May, three weeks had passed since my knee had healed but I still had problems getting over what had happened. I'd still yet to kick a ball for fear of having another accident. And it was hard, organising to go out for my birthday, as I was worried being around large groups of people would leave me in danger of being pushed over. But as JJ, Mark and the gang rightly advised, Coming 21 was a milestone, and I would only be 21 once. That being said though, I don't actually know whose stupid idea it was to suggest we go paintballing as part of my celebration too. But to be fair, it proved to be the tonic I needed to regain my confidence back. I don't know, there's just something about running through the woods and being shot at that can make you overcome some of your deepest psychological hang-ups. And it wasn't long after that day 
before I agreed to play for David's team again. Although I wasn't the same player. And once I realised this, I was very, very hard on myself. I didn't expect I'd be hesitant and wasteful. And a lot of the snapshots, risks, tackles and audacious skill attempts I would have taken months before seemed far out and impossible to me. I wasn't as agile as I used to be and I was pretty sure I'd lost a yard of my pace too. I certainly didn't believe I was held in high regard by the guys anymore, no matter how hard I tried. I'd become complacent and lazy and taken my place in the team for granted when I was in full fitness. So once the going got tough and I really had to try, I just couldn't handle the pressure. I was just like everyone else in that group. Used. The same thing could be said about my relationship with Izzy. We saw a lot of each other and had become even closer since my accident. But once I was better, I saw less of her and we became noticeably distant. We still worked together on occasion, but with no reason to be around me as much once I recovered, I felt like old news. Soon, she started to see Shane more, as he jetted in at every opportunity to see her. And every day that I text or called her with no response back, my feelings for her dwindled. By the time summer was over and September arrived, I had all but forgotten about her and made the decision to move on because I finally accepted I'd been chasing a lost cause. Although I still believed I was something special and sought after by many, she had a hold over me that I couldn't contend with. I wouldn't have dared treat her like some of the girls previously by ignoring her and such because I had too much respect for her. And because of this undivided respect and affection I had towards her, it was clear I had not been thinking straight. She may well have been out of my league and unattainable or not, I could not allow myself any longer to put my heart into it 100% when it most certainly looked like I was going to come off second best. For all the time we shared together, led next to each other, in friendly embraces and watching TV. If nothing had happened throughout all that, then it never would. And I had to accept it, as hard as it was. Consolatory. I was due to start back university in a few weeks and studying a degree that would be predominantly girls and although none of them would seemingly be anything like Izzy that didn't matter 
because I was going to blow the next three years.